Okay, uh, yes. So now I'm reading this book after a long time. I'm going to Jane Austen after a long time. I'm going with a lot of prejudices, perhaps about feminism and about what we call the romantic, right? Yeah, and uh, there are also a lot of surprises that I find when I'm reading the text again, right? Because, uh, as I said the other day, you find that you get a lot of people who behave like this, right? Yeah, and you find that this is a kind of a model of this kind of English culture which is replicated in the colonies, especially uh, in Victorian times, right? Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm reading it very slowly, uh, but of course I'll be able to finish it by the end of the week, uh, though I've got a lot of other work to do, right? Uh, so when we're looking at it, first of all we talked about technology, the advancement of technology, right? And you find that uh, this woman called Emma uh, doesn't travel very much or they don't move around too much, though they have a carriage, right? And they have uh, a carriage driver, right? Uh, so so uh, they will go to see a woman who was called Miss Taylor, but now she's Mrs. Weston, right? So that's something else, right? And uh, Randall is the place where they go to. All those kind of things are important and uh, the, the facts have to be taken note of, right? Now by the time we come to the third and the fourth chapter, right, uh, you have something very interesting taking place because they're actually talking about reading, right? And reading has something become somehow very, very important, right? So I think that's something else we have to think about because suddenly you're talking about reading. We talked about how uh, the KJV or the King James Version of the Bible slowly by the time of James I and Charles II, uh, Charles II, uh, right? Yeah, Charles II, actually that's when the Bible settles down. People are able to read the Bible. There are more people who read, right? And you get a whole new, new kind of uh, debate in chapter 4 where they're talking about this man called Mr. Martin reading, right? Yeah, and the idea of reading uh, is suddenly become very important, right? And then you get this woman called Harriet Smith, right? Who seems to be uh, attracted to this man called Mr. Martin, right? And she says, well, he reads books on agriculture, right? Now, how many people read books on agriculture, right? Even today, right? Very few, perhaps, right? Because that's a very, very highly technical field, right? And you have the idea of the class war between uh, Emma, who's looking down at him, right? And uh, the idea of even the description of a woman called uh, Harriet Smith, right? They, they say that she's uh, she's uh, a kind of a nice person, but that she's not intelligent, right? Or she's not clever. That's the actual word that they use, right? Now, what's interesting about Harriet Smith is she's told uh, here Mr. Martin does a lot of things for her, right? He goes and buys her walnuts, right? 
Now, what? So here you get this kind of a critique, right? And maybe it's not feminist in the ways we want it to be, right? Though we have a woman like Mary Wollstonecraft, right? Who's already there, and you have uh, Mary Wollstonecraft and uh, this man called William Bodden, right? Uh, they have a living together. Now, whether Mary Shelley is a son of their living or not, uh, the daughter of their living or not, is a question, right? But uh, a person like Mary Wollstonecraft is one of the first kind of feminists that we have, right? And uh, the Mary Wollstonecraft would not even bother about who the, the child is, right? Who's the father of the child? That wouldn't even be bothered. And uh, uh, William Godwin was this kind of a liberal person, right? Yeah. So that's as far as far advanced uh, the society was, right? And you have a lot of very very advanced people of that kind. That at one level, right? At the other level, you also have this idea of class, right? Which you find that Emma is doing all the time, right? And she says that. And it's just like when you look at uh, Way of the World, where, uh, what's her name? Um, Miller Moore says, rustic is ruder than gothic, right? Uh, that's something that rings a bell over here also, because she's looking down on Mr. Martin because he's a, uh, uh, he's a kind of a, uh, a peasant, a farmer, right? And she doesn't like people of the human kind, right? Yeah, so you have all these kind of prejudices about class and about occupation, right? And Harriet says that, look, I will ask him to read two books, right? Because we're talking about rustic, and here he's a rustic. But when she asks him to read two books, okay, uh, they are what you call Gothic, right? And if you read the text, that's one is uh, the children, uh, the children of the forest. No, it's I'll just give you the name of the book. Uh, yeah, one is by uh, Anne Radcliffe, right? And the other one is uh, uh, yeah, the other one is by another uh, uh, Gothic writer from Ireland, right? Uh, when is this? Yeah. So, yeah. I, he, I know he's read the Vicar of Wakefield. He never read the Romance of the Forest nor the Children of the Abbey. Right? Now, uh, Vicar of Wakefield is by Goldsmith. Right? Yeah. And uh, the, these are two important kind of Gothic novels. Right? And when we talk about Romanticism, we're talking about the Gothic. Right? Of course, the other day uh, there was, I don't normally look at the Shishant Singh Rajput case, but somebody had sent me this uh, and in the conversation, I think by Ria Chakravarti, uh, she talked about going to Italy and they went to a restaurant uh, or a hotel where they had a Gothic kind of arrangement, right? And Sushant felt uncomfortable, right? So that's and I my comment on the YouTube 
when I was watching that, I said, well, that's something interesting, the whole idea of the Gothic, right? Now that's something uh, I'm going to talk about because uh, you have Anne Radcliffe who writes a lot of Gothic novels and one of the uh, forays into the Romantic Age is through the Gothic, right? Because the Gothic deals with irrational, right? The Gothic is a movement in art, right? And the idea of the ugly being beautiful, right? You have the gargoyles, right? You have all those kind of things which are already present in Oxford. You, In fact, one of the things that I brought back from uh, my journey to Oxford was a lot of picture postcards with gargoyles, right? Yeah, and you have all the gargoyles over there which are very important. Of course, in uh, a person like uh, uh, D.H. Lawrence, right, the gargoyle is supposed to stand for female carnality, right? Yeah, it's just like, uh, yeah, so uh, of course in Bengal you have the other thing, uh, the whole idea of the Durga thing is actually a celebration of women, etc. Right? Yeah? And of course, uh, the, men, the men kind of pull it down. Right? So, we might like to look at all this thing about the Gothic, right? And this idea that we here are dealing with the Gothic novel. Right? Yeah? I mean, but two authors, okay, one is uh, Maria Regine, uh, Regina uh, Roche, or Roche, right? Who's Irish, and that's The Children of the Abbey, right? And Romance of the Forest is Anne Radcliffe, right? Yeah, so Anne Radcliffe uh, is, uh, she's written uh, a, a number, uh, the uh, Mysteries of Rudolf IV and all that kind of thing, right? And these are got, uh, Gothic novels. Of course, you have a much later kind of a writer uh, by the name of Edgar, Edgar Allan Poe, right? And he gives you the pit and the pendulum, uh, the tale of Mosia. Uh, Vladama, uh, whatever that is, right? Yeah, that's a short story, which is very interesting. It's about putting the spirit back into a dead body, right? And actually, Poe belonged to a society like that, where they should try to put the soul back into the body of people, right? Of course, I don't like fiddling with the dead, uh, neither with Sushant Singh Rajput, and nor with, uh, with anybody who's dead. Well, they must rest in peace, right? Yeah. So all this kind of thing of Poe is very interesting, right? And Poe uh, actually deals with this idea of uh, getting, uh, so you might like to read that. It's a lovely short story, right? And the question is, the tongue starts moving and all that of the dead man, right? So uh, Poe's uh, Gothic is very important, right? And you have the girls, yeah? And uh, the girls of Bimar, and you can uh, read his poem called Ulalum and the Bride of Namamoa, right? Yeah, okay, and uh, the Raven, of course. That's again a very, very Gothic kind of poem, right? So when we're getting into this text, here you're talking about reading and you're talking about reading two women authors, right? Yeah, one is an Irish author and one is English, right? And they're both Gothic writers, right? So that might be an interesting point to get in, right? And the idea, which is even more important, is that this man doesn't read enough, right? Okay? And the idea of Emma not reading enough and Harriet making a read, right? So that's something else becomes a culture in India also, right? 
when we're talking about reading, right? So, and of course, this is an upper middle class kind of preoccupation, right? And the idea that people have to read in spite of uh, there not being many educational opportunities for women, right, is something that's important. Of course, Harriet is one of these people who's sent to the school, right? Yeah, and you get this idea of le preciosité, right, where you have this idea of uh, upper class women going and learning, right, and the men think that literature is actually meant for women, right? Yeah, and of course they, they have a rude shock because actually it's a serious discipline, right, which uh, we have to, uh, men also have to think about very seriously, right? Of course, the male chauvinist uh, prejudice is still there. I remember when I was changing from maths to English, right, uh, this, an old friend of ours who said, well, but what are you going to do? Okay, you're going to take up a lady's job, right? And you're going to teach, and you're going to be an editor. All these are women's jobs. So they've gendered the jobs, and you call it male and female, and all those kind of funny things, right? Nursing was a female profession, right? Yeah, right. Okay, so the question is, you think that literature is meant for women only, and not for men, right? So look at all the prejudices in the background. Look at the idea of reading. Yeah, now it's become important for everybody to read, right? And the novel is current, right? And people would not talk about reading a play, okay, right? But they're talking about reading a novel, right? And of course, uh, when we're talking about this, uh, um, uh, this um, children of the forest, right? Yeah, not children of the forest, the other one. Uh, that is uh, romance of the forest, right? Yeah, and that's exactly where you get a lot of poetry also in the in the novel, right? Yeah. So the idea is, what is the Gothic, right? And uh, there's a friend of mine who was uh, actually worked on Anne Radcliffe for his PhD, and of course he had a very interesting topic, both for Emphil and his PhD. It was about women at madness, right? Yeah. So. That's something interesting. He worked in Jane Eyre because it's got this element of the Gothic where with Bertha Mason and whatever happens in the dream sequence and uh, the burning of uh, uh, the fire that takes place and Bertha Mason uh, uh, burns things down. If you're in women's studies, you probably read Jane Eyre, but please read it even otherwise uh, and try to read some of these Gothic novels. Not for anything, but because they're just fantastic to read, right? Yeah. So uh, we were talking about the Gothic, and he says, "Well, I will take you to a church, okay, so you can see the Gothic ar architecture, right?" Now, when we're talking about the Gothic, we also have to think about Goethe's Faust, right? Because Goethe's Faust uh, has this idea of the Gothic element, which comes in in a very strong manner, right? You have the monkey falling through the roof in uh, in the witch's kitchen, right? Yeah, that's one, right? Uh, then you also get, uh, which is really a gothic uh, element, right? Unlike uh, Marlowe's Faust, uh, yeah, there is a woman who's involved over here, and that is Margarita, right? Yeah, and what is interesting is, uh, Goethe uses all these ideas of the nationalist uh, songs, Right? 
and one of the songs that Gretchen and Goethe is reading Hamlet also, right? Because as we said the other day, when we talk about romanticism, Hamlet suddenly becomes important because a madman as hero becomes a very important kind of uh, uh, preoccupation of the romantics, right? So uh, he's reading Hamlet and that, that's why you have a lot of uh, sequences from Hamlet, like you have the fight in Gaudi's Faust part one, right? And you also have the idea of Gretchen going mad, right? Yeah, so she's called Gretchen, right? And uh, what, uh, yeah, so she sings the song Gretchen and Spin Rada, right? So she's spinning and she's singing the song, and that's what you call uh, a, a kind of a, a, a folk line, right? That's a folk song, right? And that's something that you get in Goethe's Faust, right? So you get that, and uh, later you find when you have Herder and all those early nationalists who come up with the idea of nationalism and German nationalism, which of course becomes Hitlerianism after some time, right? But the, the, the way that it's organized is, it's about the songs, right? The folk songs, right? So you can, uh, and of course, as a student uh, in school, we had to learn all that because we had a book of poetry and we had to sing out all those kind of songs. So a lot of them, I didn't know that I was into all that kind of uh, fascist stuff at that point of time. But, uh, so you get uh, a song like, Gedanken sind frei, that is, thought is free, right? So we had to learn all these kind. You can check them up on YouTube. We didn't have YouTube. We didn't have anything then. But we had to learn the song. And uh, our teacher, who was in the German, uh, in Germany during the war and during Hitler's Germany, and he was in a resistance movement against Hitler, right? Yeah. He uh, taught us a lot of these songs, and we had to sing them, right? And we were marked for them, right? Because, uh, yeah. Ich hatte eine Kamerade, right? All those kind of things, right? So all these things are uh, very important kinds of songs that you have, and that's where the Gothic element comes in with Goethe's Faust, and we get also the Gothic element uh, when we talk about the chapel and we talk about the. Uh, so in Goethe's Faust, we have that whole thing, that whole sequence where Gretchen uh, goes to the the church and the gothic elements of the church work on a mind, right? So when we talk about Sushant Singh Rajput, right? And the whole idea of going to a gothic style uh, Italian restaurant or whatever that is, I don't know where, I hope I've not got that wrong, right? But what is interesting about it is the gothic, right? And what happens to the gothic, right? That's something that the romantics take up in a big, big way, right? Because the idea of all this uh, gargoyles and all those kind of things. You might like to see a person called Grunwald, who's an artist, right? And uh, he's a German artist. So you, he paints all these absolutely ugly creatures and the art itself becomes very uh, beautiful, right? Some of his paintings, not all of them, right? Yeah, so you might like to look at this kind of art, right? And what is important is there's something called the Gothic arch, right? So when you actually go into the church, and that's exactly what happens to Gretchen when she goes into the church, right? She's overtaken by the awe of the Gothic architecture, right? So it's supposed to work on your mind. It's not supposed to be, yeah, and that's one. And the other thing is, actually the Gothic churches 
you had to actually to bow, bend down because they had very low doors, right? And get into the church, right? So this, this, of course, they're not there. Uh, they're not like that anymore, right? But uh, you get this idea of the Gothic and the architecture of the Gothic getting to you, right? Yeah. So that's something uh, that's important, right? Because the Romantics talked about emotions, right? So the question is. How does the architecture work on your emotions? How does the song work on your emotions, right? And if you look at romantic music from Germany, that's a very important phase because you have the major scale and the minor scale, right? And when you play, play in the major scale, you normally have happy music, right? And you find that more than 50% of songs composed in the romantic age in Germany, right, are in the minor scale. And the minor scale is supposed to give you this kind of uh, emotion, right? Yeah. So, uh, and that's of course what Freud and uh, what's the other guy's name? Penfield, right? Yeah. So, Fro uh, Penfield is actually talking about it, right? And he's talking about a person who passes by a shop where uh, there's some music playing, right? And he has a, a very disturbed kind of. Um, feeling right yeah so the idea is he didn't even know about the song he didn't even know that he had heard the song right and then he gets all these kinds of uncomfortable feelings because of the song right so when we're talking about this idea of the gothic and I think we need to talk about it because the idea of the gothic is not only in this uh, the, the idea of the skeletons in the cupboard right comes from the gothic right because they actually are talking about all these haunted castles Right? And when they open the coffins, you find bodies over there, right? Yeah, you find skeletons, not bodies, right? And that's exactly how, whether you take Romeo and Juliet or you take any other uh, uh, kind of, uh, what's this called? The world scene, right, in Romeo and Juliet, some of it is really out and it gives you the element of the Gothic, right? Yeah, so that's playing by what Shakespeare perhaps was not aware of, but what was a later development, right? So you play with the idea of the Gothic and you take it into a very spooky kind of place with a lot of cobwebs around and a lot of bodies around and, and skeletons around and all those kind of things. And some portraits of Romeo and Juliet are that way when Juliet has to go and uh, play dead in the vault, right? And then she gets up, okay? And then she finds Romeo dead and then she kills herself and all those kind of things happen, right? Yeah, so you might uh, like look at all this gothic representations in cinema and the and Shakespeare, right? Yeah. So the idea is uh, this is talking about the gothic. First of all, it's talking about reading, right? And reading is something that's very important, right? And it's talking about marriage. So if a man doesn't read, okay, uh, can uh, a woman be compatible with a man who doesn't read? Right? So that's the kind of understanding of here, right? And of course what happens in India is you get a lot of women reading much more than men. Right? Yeah? Though uh, we know the story about the the, uh, the idea of the Roman and how uh, novels are banned, right? At least in uh, may, maybe uh, different parts of Europe, but then it, they make a comeback. Right? Yeah? And the idea of the Gothic uh, becomes a very important kind of phenomenon. Right? So, uh, these two women who are writing are some kind of, and it's very interesting to think about it, right? Because 
there is this woman called Elizabeth Barrett Browning, right, and Virginia Woolf, right. They complain about writing, and they say that we don't have a kind of a role, uh, a kind of somebody to imitate, right? Yeah, uh, because the men have a long tradition of writing. So, whom do we imitate, right? As women writers. So that's actually what many of you will do if you're doing women's writing, and if you take up this idea of style and stylistics of women's writing, then you'll get into this idea of uh, who are the archetypes that women have to follow, right? And there's a whole gap that they're talking about, right? Uh, when they're talking about imitating and finding uh, a kind of a model to model themselves in writing, right? And that's what's interesting about Jane Eyre because, uh, sorry, Emma, because it's actually talking about women writing in this age, women reading in this age, right? It's talking about being well-read or not being well-read, right? And how one person influences another to read, right? Yeah, and of course, what's interesting, I, I looked up some of the uh, the YouTube on uh, this uh, children of, uh, what's it called? Uh, the Romance of the Forest, right? Yeah, and uh, well, some people say that, well, we read it only because of this woman called uh, Jane Austen, because she actually mentions it in Emma, right? So, one of the things that maybe any, all of you can do is read the two novels, right? And see how it corresponds to Emma, right? Because uh, you'll find that the, the many parallels over here, especially because you have this woman called Harriet, who's of unknown parentage, right? And there's a big issue about that, because the idea is, you should have what you call pedigree, right? Not only about dogs, but about human beings, and yeah, so that's one in, which is important, right? And uh, an Indian version of it is, uh, a man should have a degree and a pedigree, right? Because we are, we've got the the British system and our old caste system, and we've taken all those things together, and that's nicely wrapped up, right? Of course. So that's a kind of a classist kind of going about it, right? So the idea of pedigree would mean who is who, which who's your father, who's your grandfather, who's your of course all male, right? Uh, we are we are talking about where have you come from, right? What is your ancestry? Right? So that's one of the issues that is brought up over here because we are talking about marriage. right? And of course, they don't have a caste system, otherwise the caste system would have clinched a lot of things. And they say, well, get married because of the caste is the same and you don't have a Janma Patrika, right? And you match the horoscopes and you do all those kind of very, very interesting things, right? So that might be, uh, that might have been an easier way out, right? But when you talk about people being compatible, and people have to meet and find out whether they're compatible, right? And you have what you call uh, the attraction, right? Yeah, the attraction uh, about physical appearances, right? And the idea that um, uh, you have, uh, so th that's something that gets people going, right? Yeah, and of course, they're talking about something else that we talked about when we talked about. Uh, Calibus travels, we're talking about the idea of 
gentleness, right? Which is something that you've already read about in your uh, uh, Unto This Last, right? Yeah, so first of all, Ruskin, who's much later than this, is saying that first people have to be given a training. A school should give people a training in gentleness, right? Of course, in India, I don't know whether anybody's going to buy that anymore, right? Because even in this novel, the idea of gentleness is sophisticated, right? But a trope in literature is the gentle is also uh, the homosexual or not so male, right? Yeah, so that's something else that you might like to look at because we're talking at a late point of history when uh, all these things or the stereotypes of being uh, civilization is artificial. Right? Yeah, and that's something that comes up over here because you're talking about this farmer gentleman, right? And that's not a new thing at all, right? That's there in Shakespeare, right? And that's a stereotype that uh, is used in Kuli by Mulkaraj Anand, right? And that's a stereotype which you get in literature, right? Yeah, so you get, uh, and many, many authors use it again and again, right? So you have Shakespeare's. Uh, Malboli, right? Who says, uh, didn't, the, didn't the lady of the Strachey marry uh, the yeoman of the wardrobe, right? So we're talking about marrying against your class, right? Marrying against uh, your status in life, right? And the whole idea of the physical uh, attraction between a man and a woman, right? So that's something else you might think of, right? And now they've had a different kind of a way of looking at it, right? Because it's not about uh, who you are or your pedigree or who your father was or grandfather was or whatever that is, right? Yeah, so that's something that is still perhaps there in England. But of course, uh, a lot of democracy is coming, right? Social democracy, right? And that's why people don't care about that, especially as far as marriage is concerned, right? And of course, one of the reasons why this text is so important in India is the idea of, uh, of our Brahminical systems is actually something that people feed on, right? Yeah, and so how do you perpetrate the system? Because this text is actually talking about finding and perpetrating a certain kind of uh, people getting married to a certain kind of people, right? Yeah, so it's, it's actually talking about class, but in our world, it's talking about caste and class, right? Yeah, so all those things keep happening all the time. And some people say, well, even if the class is not important, the caste is important too. So you can marry a poorer man because his caste is okay. All those kind of uh, problematic issues that we all know about, right? Yeah. So uh, when we get into this novel, you actually come to know what's going on. Okay, and why is the novel so important in India, right? Why have so many people read it in India, right? And why have so many people read it in the UK, right? And that is in England. Why has it become what is called a classic, right? And uh, uh, of course, we know that the English are very, very conservative people, right? Of course, we might be even more conservative, right? But they're conservative people. They won't change very much, right? And when uh, we're talking about the French in comparison with the English, and the French are what you call a radical lot of people, they bring about change 
by thought, right? Yeah, so you get the French thinkers, you get even the Germans who think, right? And English are people who read and think and they change very slowly, right? Yeah, so they don't, they don't change very fast because they're very conservative people, right? Yeah, so uh, the idea of conservatism is something else that you might talk about when you talk about the novel, right? So we're not talking about this kind of a radical uh, moving away, right? And it's not talking, of, uh, so you have a lot of chance meeting in, the, in these uh, romances, right? Yeah. And uh, in that way, it's not romantic in that same way. This playing with this idea of the medieval romance, right? Yeah, uh, if you find anything that I've said very difficult uh, or the ideas or concepts are not clear, uh, you can uh, actually uh, take me up on it just now if you want, right? Yeah, so uh, I don't know if uh, we are talking on the same page as they say today, right? But what's interesting about this is we are talking about how, what books have you read, right? I think uh, somebody showed this movie called uh, The Namesake. Yeah. I think it, it was shown in the department uh, plus, uh, in the literary society, right? And you have two people, okay, who meet in the United States and they're talking about books, right? Now that's something that comes from this idea of the colonial and here you find probably a fact fragment of uh, Emma which is coming there, right? So the idea of what books have you read, right? And if you've not read, you know, you're almost nobody, right? And uh, yeah, in my uh, childhood, you, you had people who actually competed about how many books have you, and have you read this book? And have you read that book? And have you read this book? So reading becomes a very important thing in this text, right? Yeah. So the question is, how much have you read? What have you read? Right? And something else that was important is the number of books that you could read were very limited, right? Uh, yeah, so you didn't have books that were available, right? Like we have today. It was very difficult for people to get books. And that's why there's a complaint about him not getting the books in spite of me telling him again and again, right? So that is something else that is important, right? Of course, today uh, we are talking about people who get through English uh, BAs and NAs and sometimes even PhDs without reading a book, right? And that's in India, of course, right? And of course, maybe abroad too, I don't know about them, right? But I don't think that's a problem because uh, they probably have the English language, right? And they already have the language. So uh, I don't know whether uh, they would not read literature, right? Yeah. Though the idea of reading means a lot of discipline, sitting down, okay, and trying to get uh, a text and reading a text, right? Yeah. So that's important. But then what is important is how does reading make me what I am, right? So that's the issue that is being raised over here, right? So you have another Gothic novel which is called Frankenstein by Mary Wollstonecraft's daughter, uh, that's Mary Shelley, right? Yeah, and you must have heard of it, right? And looks is called the first science fiction novel and all those kind of things. But uh, as one of the people uh, was talking uh, 
you might get this on the YouTube, right? Who's discussing it, right? He says, well, it's about being, right? You take different pieces of a body and you put it together, you stitch it together, you give life to it and all those kind of things, right? And then you're talking about being, right? Can we create a human being, right? Yeah, and the question is, what is a human being, right? So these are questions that are fundamental questions that we keep asking, whether we're studying existential philosophy, right? Or we read Hemingway, right? Uh, Old Man of the Sea or any of these novels, right? And we're talking about the idea of uh, this kind of a gothic novel, which is called Frankenstein, right? So, uh, of course, Frankenstein is a little later than this, right? That's one part of it, right? Now, we are talking about 1791, 1794, this is when these novels are written, right? Yeah? And these are important dates because that's when you have the French Revolution taking place, right? So it's after the French Revolution, what happens to the French Revolution and how does it affect people in England, right? And how protectionist are they, right? We already know from our study of criticism and theory and social history of England that Burke and Hume are the people who's, who try to uh, who try uh, very hard and very successful at seeing that there's no kind of French Revolution in England, right? So that's one side, and a very conservative uh, teacher of ours would talk about Burke and Hume and say all these kind of things, and of course that's a very conservative kind of position, right? that this idea of the French Revolution, yeah, and of course, uh, the other important thing uh, which was told to us by uh, a Coolbridge scholar, right? Yeah, uh, I, I forgot his name. He had come down to our university when we were students, and uh, our teacher Uday Kumar didn't have a place to stay, so he was staying in the guest house, and I'll, I'll get his name, I've forgotten what his name is. Right, but he's a he's a very important uh, scholar, right? Yeah, and he was talking about uh, Coolidge and Wordsworth, right? And uh, how they were trying to run away from England and go to France because they wanted to be there when the French Revolution was happening, right? Yeah, and of course I'm talking about this. Uh, we've got Charles Dickens, which is actually talking about the French Revolution, right? Yeah, uh, the tale of two cities, right? But then the question over here is. Uh, Wordsworth and Coolidge were trying to run away and they were caught by the police and they were brought up, right? And they were young people, right? The whole idea of running away is something that's associated with young people, right? And that's adventurous, right? So the whole idea of adventure, running away, all those kind of things, it's almost as if uh, it's a part of a growing process. The whole idea of running away, right? Yeah, and not telling your parents and not telling anybody and running away as a young person is something that uh, even in India it happens all the time, right? Yeah. So people, uh, of course, maybe with a lover, when they hear these were two people who are friends and poets, right? And they wanted to run away, right? And they wanted to go to France and they were taking a boat and then they were caught and they were brought back, right? Yeah, so that's very sad, right? Because France and the French Revolution was something that they wanted to see, right? So it's like uh, this friend of mine who's a historian, of course, now he's in Calcutta, but uh, he joined uh, for a PhD in Calcutta because he says, well, 
I want to be there at the moment when the whole idea of the Badrulo culture is at the end, right? Yeah, I want to be there because it's a historical moment, right? So the idea of history and being there at the historical moment is something that's fantastic, right? Like for instance, the many students said, well, you lived in an interesting time, we are living in a horrible time. I said, well, you are living in an interesting time. We've got fascist India and we've got so many kind of people opposing the government, which I've not seen in my life and I've never seen a government which is run amok, right? But you've actually got all these kind of things to talk about, right? So you're actually living in a very interesting moment. It's uh, also, I'm here and I'm, I'm doing that, right? So. Uh, it's not about, so we're all living through interesting times and please take notes and make notes of it, right? Yeah, whichever side you are, whether left, right or center, right? Uh, please make notes of all the things that are happening around because we're actually living at a very politically interesting time, right? Yeah, uh, you, you can take your own observations, uh, you can take people at the grassroots, right? And you can take all the people who you're uh, uh, around with and how do they react to all the things that are happening, right? Yeah, so you might like to think about it, right? And that's exactly what is happening over here in the text because uh, the idea of printing is a revolution which happens with Gutenberg, right? It's something that happens in Shakespeare's day, right? It's something that happens with the printing of the Bible, right? And that's very revolutionary because Wycliffe uh, is almost killed because of his uh, Bible, right? Yeah. And then the other people who are put to death for uh, trying to uh, translate the Bible, right? Yeah. So all those things happen, and then James the first gives the first uh, authorized version of the Bible, right? Which is translated, and it's probably not a good translation. Uh, not a scientific or not taking all the scientific kinds of understandings of the world into this uh, translation, right? But it's definitely very poetic, right? And it's definitely written in high Renaissance English, right? Yeah, now that settles down and becomes something that's common to the English people by only after Charles II, right? Because otherwise, uh, as Christopher Hill points out, we have a century of revolutions, right? So there are a lot of revolutions taking place, right? And uh, we're talking about, this is at the time of George III, when things have already come down and settled down, right? And all the Georges, as you know, were not English, right? And I don't think they learned English. They were all Germans, right? George I, George II, and George III were all Germans, right? And the English didn't like them, right? Yeah, and uh, that's why you have the poem which says, George the Third should never have occurred, right? And I remember this, that we were, we were down at Piccadilly Circus. We, my aunt was, had called a friend of hers for, uh, for lunch, and we were waiting for her. We got down from the train, and I said, well, I just want to examine this bust and see whose bust it is, right? And uh, it was George the Third, right? So I told her, well, uh, there's a ditty which says, George III should never have occurred, right? Yeah, because he was a man with king, right? So, of course, we uh, anybody can have mad rulers, and we've, we've got, we've seen them also, and we've seen them, right? Yeah, so it's not a problem at all, right? But when somebody writes a poem about a mad ruler, right, 
uh, then become very interesting, right? Of course, uh, with Hitler, there are a lot of psychoanalytical kinds of reading of the mind or the psychology of a fascist and the psychology of a dictator. You can get all the books if you have access to uh, any of the German uh, understandings of the, the Nazi movement, etc. Right? Uh, of course, Max Wheeler used to have them, and that's where I read all of that. Right? Yeah. But the question is, uh, so this whole idea of the bust of George III and the, the, the local people in the Augustan age just hated the idea that they had German rulers who thought that the English language was much below them because it's Anglo-Saxon and it's come from their, their kind of language. So they kept looking down at the English language right? and they didn't even bother to learn it. Right? Yeah. So that's, uh, we have all these language problems in India, right? And uh, yeah, some of us may not even bother about learning a language which is priced very highly by some people, right? Yeah, and we say, well, we don't even want to learn the language, right? Yeah, I remember uh, Sohas Palshikar, somebody asked him a question in Hindi, and he said, I'm sorry, I can't answer your question in Hindi, right? Because uh, I don't know Hindi, right? Yeah, and that's a kind of a style statement or an assertion that people don't have to learn Hindi, right? Yeah, so that's something important. And for the, for the English, it was terrible when your ruler doesn't know the language, right? It's like uh, this person from Orissa, Navin Patnaik, right? Uh, he doesn't know Oriya, right? And it's very funny, right? that uh, he has been the chief minister for so long and he speaks uh, English with almost uh, a, a, a kind of an English accent, right? Yeah. Uh, so you find that very strange and funny, but of course the people he's voted for, okay, uh, whatever reasons, um, they say that he's very effective and that's why he's been voted for, right? Yeah, but what's interesting is what happens if your ruler doesn't care for the language, right? At one level, we have this man called Thomas Hobbes, who's talking about uh, the idea of the nation, right? And Hobbes is talking about, and that's when you have, uh, uh, he's a contemporary of uh, Swift and all those kind of people, right? Yeah, so a little before Swift, right? And he's actually talking about a, na a nation should have a language, right? Yeah, and of course, ours doesn't, right? And if it does, it's going to create a lot of trouble, right? And it's going to create a lot of split, splits because of all the language wars, right? Yeah, and all the race wars and the language wars uh, which we have all the time, right? So I think uh, we all know all those stories and we've been brought up on them, right? And we've all seen that. Uh, we had this huge thing between Maharashtra. Uh, when the formation of Gujarat and Maharashtra took place, the Gujaratis and the Maharashtrians killed each other, not because of religion, but because of language, right? Yeah, and uh, all that was in Bombay, right? So I, I remember reading a, uh, a novel about it. It was called More of an Indian, uh, and it's by some Parsi, but I, I have never been able to find it again, right? Yeah, so uh, it's not a famous, uh, a very famous novel, but it was interesting because uh, the descriptions are terrible, right? It's about people being tied with tires in the middle of the road in Fort, if you if you know Bombay, right, uh, in Fort, and they've been burnt, right. And actually, uh, that's I, I I asked some people. I said, did this actually happen? And they said, yes. In 1960, 
it was absolute mayhem, right? And it was not about religion, it was about language and culture, right? And the question is, who owns Bombay, right? So that's the fight that has been there from the birth of Maharashtra and Gujarat, right? You have this huge kind of fight about uh, language, identity, culture, right? Yeah, so uh, when we're talking about this idea of reading, now, in the past, people would read uh, in Latin and Greek, right? Yeah, and all the educated people, even in the age of uh, Jane Austen, would read Latin and Greek, right? But here you have women who have already been start uh, writing in English, right? And uh, the idea of the, the men would be they might have learned their Latin and Greek because they had to use, uh, they had to learn philosophy, right? And they had to learn Latin uh, for the courts and for the government, right? Yeah, and uh, uh, that's that's what it is. But of course, uh, at a later point, English started being used, especially in India, right? Yeah, and at that point, perhaps you didn't have this kind of English medium schools or English schools, whatever that is, right? For women in England, right? Uh, I I think uh, that assertion of mine is quite true, right? And that's why you get. This woman, uh, whatever his name, Mrs. Goddard, right? I think it's Goddard, right? Who, uh, yeah, you can, yeah, Mrs. Goddard, right? Yeah, so uh, who's has this kind of place where people are looked after and learn, right? So that's of course something new and different, right? And if you go and read uh, *Mill on the Floss* by George Eliot, you'll find that you have this peop uh, this uh, student who learns Latin and mathematics and he goes and stays and that's a very Victorian and a very upper classes kind of thing to do, right? You send your son to a person's house so that they can sit and read, right? And study and learn manners and uh, you, you pay them whatever has to be paid, right? For their board and lodge and their training, yeah? So that's a kind of the, the Victorian idea of, uh, the upper class Victorian idea of uh, learning and teaching, right? Yeah, and of course George Eliot makes a lot of comments about it, right? Because the little girl is not allowed to go, though she's far uh, brighter than her brother, right? Yeah, uh, anyhow, I don't want to get there. Yeah, so, uh, so the idea is we're talking about the Gothic, we're talking about the Gothic elements, right? And the Gothic element is again associated, of course you have uh, the neoclassical idea, Right, uh, which is looking down on the idea of the German or the Gothic, right? Uh, and the Goths are, you have Shakespeare also in his, uh, not Titan of Athens, what's uh, Tamara is the queen of the Goths, where is that from? Titus Andronicus, right? Yeah, so uh, Titus Andronicus, uh, you have this woman called Tamara, who's a queen of the Goths, right? And it's looked down upon. Uh, from Shakespeare's time also, right? It's not that it's uh, looked upon, uh, looked down upon by uh, this woman called uh, Millamore, right? Yeah, uh, Millamore is the Mirabelle and Millamore are Frenchified names, and they're talking about French neoclassical drama, right? Okay, but the the Gothic is looked down upon, and now a little later, the Gothic is a kind of a liberatory position that a lot of writers take, right? They take on the Gothic because they can move on to the idea of the irrational, right? Yeah, uh, the irrational, the ugly, the mad, 
all those kind of things is what the romantics take up, right? And that's why these women writers who are talking about the Gothic, right, are talking about emotion, right, are talking about very strongly about emotion, the irrational, the imagination, right? All these kind of things are embodied in these writers, right? So that's one. And the question is, we're talking about reading this kind of a writer, right? And we're talking about reading women writers, uh, women reading women writers, right? And uh, uh, so that's kind of acceptable, right? At one level, right? Uh, I don't know whether there were sanctions against women reading these people, right? Or maybe because they said, well, uh, you, you can't write uh, anything sleazy, right? Uh, maybe that was allowed, right? Uh, yeah, so uh, you might like to look at all those kind of issues that you have, right? Okay, yeah, so uh, any questions there? Yeah. Okay, now the idea of uh, this line, of course, you might like, oh, not handsome, not at all handsome. I thought him very plain at first, but I do not think him so plain now. Yeah, one does not know uh, there's uh, one does not, you know, after a time. But did you never see him? He's Highbury. He's at Highbury now and then, and he's sure to ride through every week in his uh, uh, in his way to Kensington, right? He's passed you very often, right? And that's what uh, this uh, woman called Harriet tells Emma, and Emma says, "No, I've not seen him, right?" And that's the typical upper class way of operation even in India. You deny the presence of somebody who you know, right? And say, oh, I really don't know it. Maybe I do. And then if you get connections, okay, in upper elite society, right? I'm not saying you're precisely going about this way, but you get a lot of very elite people who say, well, I don't really know who that is, right? And then you, when they actually meet, or you show them, and then you can't deny it, right? So you have all this polite hypocrisy, which comes up with the idea of high culture, right? So you might like to look at all this kind of way of going about it, right? And trying to pretend that you don't know certain people, right? And that's why uh, I don't think I can read all of the book out to you, because it's just not humanly possible, but please try to read the text, right? Yeah. Okay, so one is to talk about it from the history of reading, right? Yeah, so you talk about how did reading begin and you also have these uh, uh, issues that they're talking about reading silently and reading loudly, right? Uh, which you'll get again when you talk about the issue of reading and you have to deal with the later medieval period and the earlier, yeah, so you get Augustine and Ambrose and all those kind of people who actually uh, get in this idea of loud reading, right? Yeah, and silent reading. Yeah, actually they get in silent reading. Augustine is supposed to uh, have been implement, uh, have to, uh, he's supposed to have had to uh, implement this idea of uh, silent reading, okay? And that's public silent reading because the monks and all that used to actually read very loud, right? Yeah, the idea of reading was loud, right? Of course, in the history of reading, Alexander the Great, or yeah, whoever he was, right, is supposed to have been one of the first persons to read silently, right? Otherwise, 
and even now uh, many people would read letters loudly right yeah they don't know uh, they don't know how to read silently right and this is something that keeps happening the idea of silent reading and loud reading is again an issue that's taken up right yeah so uh, so you might and of course in uh, Puritan American literature and the idea of the family in Europe right one of the things that they would do is read uh, the Bible loudly right read sections of the Bible loudly and then if you read uh, a, a book uh, by uh, what's her name Little Women Little Women is by yeah Louisa May Alcott right you have this idea of sitting down by the fire and reading right and that's an American novel of course right uh, so you have the idea of sitting by the fire and reading and that's a kind of a ritual that families practice right so one thing is to say reading right and he's not read these books he's not bought these books that's a complaint that you have right the other thing is reading loudly and reading silently right now uh, so there are a lot of cultural elements which are very important over here in the text right yeah and when you read it and you might like to think of people you actually meet who have incorporated this book into their life right now one of the things that happens is how does how does reading form you right how does the mind how do your mind get how does anybody's mind get formed when you read right what happens to you right uh, and do you transform yourself right so reading is supposed to be educative right you're supposed to transform yourself when you read right and of course they're reading gothic novels so the idea is something else we're talking about imagination we're talking about uh, the idea of the gothic right the idea of the emotions right the idea of this kind of uh, fear that is aroused by reading all these kind of novels right so that's something else that you might find very interesting when you read this text right what do you read okay so one is reading useful technical agriculture books and the other is reading these kind of useless gothic novels right and then the question is why do they insist do you have you read the gothic novel right yeah so these are gothic novels and they're women writing so many people say well i don't write to read women I, I i had a colleague doing that and, uh, there was a seminar on black women writing and he said not black and not women i want i don't want to go for any of those things right yeah so uh, you have a lot of people doing that right uh, and it's interesting yeah because uh, the next time we talk uh, i think we're almost done right we talk about and this is an issue that one of your seniors asked me right and then i said well uh, he says there's nothing much in this novel right so why do we have to read it right yeah and i said well uh, you have this idea of mills and boons right which is something that women read right and i, I remember my my cousin uh, yeah she was told not to read them right because she was too young to read all those kind of novels and she used to read one mills and boons every day right yeah and of course now she's in the uk right but what is interesting is uh, the psychiatrist the psychologist the school psychologist told her uh, uh, this is not for you to read right and you shouldn't read this because you're too young to read them right now 
who's too young and who's too old i don't understand that today right but at that point of time we used to actually listen to people right and of course my cousin didn't right she kept reading them and nobody could stop her in the house